Gay SA Radio, where you are family. In this series, we listen to the discussions that were held during the South African LGBTI Business Summit, setting an LGBTI economic empowerment agenda. The summit was held at the Equinox Center at the Absa Capital in Santon in Johannesburg on Tuesday the 11th of September 2018. The purpose of this inaugural South African LGBTI Business Summit is to position LGBTI economic muscle in the business sphere by making a strong business case for the economic inclusion of LGBTI people and, by doing that, open up new business and other economic empowerment opportunities for LGBTI people. Discussions during the summit will demonstrate how this can be done, identify opportunities to make it happen and craft strategies to overcome obstacles. In Session 8, the topic is the politics of LGBTI economic inclusion, social justice and the transformation agenda in South Africa. The session explored how to reconcile the contradictions inherent in setting. The session explored how to reconcile the contradictions inherent in setting an LGBTI economic empowerment agenda by participation in business in the context of the broader socio-economic transformation challenges facing South Africa relating to poverty, inequality, unemployment and structural racism and sexism. And we'll hear closing remarks, keynote addresses as well. Um, those breakaway sessions were quite interesting and obviously you weren't able to pick up on what the other ones discussed. So very quickly, uh, what came out from the trade union meeting was that uh, SATU has gone as far as actually trying to address the issue by gathering its members to come together to raise concerns. They spoke about how um, somebody applied for a job as a principal, eventually got it, but there was outrage from the community saying that they would rather take their kids out of the school than have them there with a lesbian principal. That's the reality that they're dealing with now. The great thing is that they're actually dealing with it as Satu. So they've been discussing that quite openly. Uh, one of the other things that came out was how people worked in townships, how you have to work harder as LGBTI a person to make it in this career of entrepreneurship. As somebody mentioned actually driving a taxi so that she could fund her business and eventually she did make it. What was interesting in this group, in this session here in Zone 2 though, was um, someone mentioned that they weren't too keen on being labelled and segregated even further as an LGBTI community. They felt that their skills themselves would actually uh, get them business and not the fact that they're gay. So uh, the, the diverse opinions, of course, came through quite strongly on this. Before we get to this uh, panel discussion, let's get you to all remember to sign up and become members of a PLUS. It's a great organization that will help uh, businesses uh, that are struggling, that will show you the right way, and something that will help you no matter whether you're starting something up, whether you're thinking of starting something up, and also let you, as a big company, help out smaller groups and other companies, which is what everyone's talking about here, networking. How do we network and how do we get in touch with each other to help each other out? So go through PLUS and you'll be able to do that. You can speak to Anzio. You've also been given membership forms and diaries if you actually did get them. Uh, also, one last thing. A great way of telling people exactly what the summit was about, or if somebody asks you the difficult question and you can't really explain to them via WhatsApp, which is what we do these days instead of talking, send them a link to the Daily Maverick article that uh, Sia Kumalo wrote. I mean, uh, he basically wrote it in a way that will grab their, their attention because he asks the question that everybody who um, you know, wants to know more about the summit is asking, are LGBTI people asking for special treatment? Seriously? I mean, I get the tone of it. And he answers that in a very nice way. So get a hold of that link, send it to people you know, send it to your executives, your CEOs, people who need to read it. Sorry for the delay, so we can't get to you right now. Of course, we're all revved up. We know about the economic uh, muscle the LGBTI community has. We know what we can do. We know that we're hard workers. We know that we should be taken seriously because we have 53 billion rand uh, buy-in in the economy. But the politics of what we're discussing is something that is coming up. And you'll read it in uh, that article as well. You'll see that the politics of people saying... We have so many issues to deal with already. We have so many inequalities that South Africa is dealing with. 
Being black in itself is a major issue for our country. So why then does the LGBTI community expect special treatment? Because that's what it looks like. And uh, to handle this is moderator Dawn Cavanaugh. She's an independent consultant. She's robust, like Greta Montasha likes them. And she's going to be actually taking this, taking us through what many would say is a very difficult conversation. Thank you very much, and good afternoon, everyone. That was a serious setup. What do I do now? <laughs> okay, so I'm in the company that you either own or you uh, are a manager in. And there is discrimination. I'm excluded from a particular opportunity, um, despite how long I've been there, my experience, my skills, my knowledge, my personal fit in the organization. And I need you to tell me if that's because I'm a woman, because I am black, or because I'm a lesbian, or something else. And I wonder how many of us know how to do that, whether it's something that can be done. We live in South Africa. We know about hate crimes, hate crimes against people, hate crimes against lesbian women, hate crimes against lesbian, against women. When a young black woman in a township outside of Johannesburg is raped, is she being raped because she's black, she's poor, she's young and vulnerable, or she's a lesbian? How many of us know how to tell the basis on which that discrimination is happening, is unfolding? And I think that's what the session is about. Um, this meeting today is a really important conversation. Um, I have to acknowledge Tandi because eight years ago a group of us started a very similar issue and a very similar process and actually the leadership came from Tandi and IBM. I just want to acknowledge that the seed gets planted and comes to fruition. It might take time. Um, so what we are really trying to do in this session, the reason why I agreed to do this uh, moderation is because I firmly believe as African people and as South Africans, we are capable of more than we are currently doing in terms of understanding complexity. That our instinct is often simplicity. What's the simplest thing? I'm a lesbian? Okay, I'm going to be a lesbian activist, and what I'm going to speak about is lesbian issues, and I'm going to be a lesbian, I'm going to be the alpha lesbian, and when I introduce myself, I will be Dawn the lesbian, and you will all know I'm the lesbian, and I know lesbian <laughs> issues. Right? That is the easier way. Then you become the add-on L, the G, the B, the T, the I, the Q, now we've got A, and we've got P, and we've got another Q, right? And so we get further, even as we contest for political space and inclusion, we actually create a broader band of excluded peoples, right? And this is complexity. It's saying that the conversation that we had today is absolutely critical because it's about corrective action. Okay? It's equity, not just equality, equity. How do we correct? When there's exclusion, when there's marginalization and oppression, something's got to be done that, so that those who are lost can be brought forward so that they have more of an opportunity, in this case, to participate in the economy. That's what this conversation is about. And so LGBTI people, I prefer to say, discrimination based on sexual orientation, gender identity and expression is an important basis on which we people are excluded in this country and globally. And so what I'm um, going to try to do is encourage really robust conversation. Um, the speakers, the way we're going to do it, the speakers are going to talk for seven to ten minutes each. They're going to start off by introducing themselves. The panelists are Dion. I think many of you know both of the panelists, Dion Chang and Sim Chabalala. They'll say a little bit about themselves, and then they'll speak to the topic 
um, the way it's been articulated in the agenda. Um, we will then open it up and try and really have a facilitated conversation rather than questions and answers. So we may even have some of you speaking um, you know, directly to each other rather than just speaking with the panel. And then we'll end with some closing remarks and takeaway <coughs> messages. Okay, so I think let's, uh, let's go. Um, but I think let me just tell you a quick story. So I've been an activist for a very long time. I won't tell you how long because then you'll know how old I am. Um, but a really long time on a number of different issues. So starting with women's rights and you know, anti-racism um, pre-1994. But in the post-1994 period of euphoria, one of the big challenges that the country faced was HIV. Many of you will remember this, right? That HIV was going to threaten the democracy that we had been waiting for, that we had been fighting for in this country. And so I was part of a group of very passionate feminists who said to a number of donors, we know how to, how to sort this out because there was a very a lack of a gender analysis in how HIV was addressed. It was as though women and men were impacted, were both equally vulnerable, number one, and number two, that they were impacted in the same ways, and it's not true. And what we wanted to do was make a contribution to a stronger gender, think, stronger gender thinking in how this country approached HIV. So we developed this beautiful toolkit and we did a pilot study with three phases of 20 uh, uh, participants from companies and, and, and NPOs, non-profit organizations, and then sent them off to use this toolkit in their different um, institutions. And this was to enable them, because they were all starting to address HIV in the companies, right? And this was to enable them to have a gendered lens in responding to HIV. So we were very proud. We're feminists and we want women's rights and we want gender to be in there and, you know, LGBTIQ issues. And off they went and the, the, the pilot failed. The pilot failed in terms of gender and it succeeded in terms of race because people took our tools and they went back to their organizations and companies and they used their tools to understand what was going on in terms of racial discrimination and oppression in their companies and organizations. Gender didn't appear. <clears throat> and I think for me and many other feminists in South Africa that was a turning point because we realized that what we do is there's always a flavor of the month. There's a new issue, right? A new human rights issue. Okay, women's rights. The next thing, it's what? Men. You can't, change, you can't change patriarchy without men. Let's work with men. And then there's another issue, and we keep adding on, but we still have a serious gender pay gap in this country. Women's rights have not been won. We are almost nowhere in the last 20 years in women's rights. So, you know, one of the challenges that I'm sort of throwing out to all of us, we're capable, as a lesbian woman, I'm capable of thinking beyond being a lesbian. I'm capable of thinking about poverty and inequality on this continent and how that can be addressed for all people, including lesbian women. And I think that that's one of the challenges as we look at our oppressions based on sexual orientation. What about the fact that I'm a woman as well and I'm discriminated based on that? So, so I think let's put our heads together. You know, let's, let's think about this. What are different ways? What needs to change in our organizations? in our companies, so that it's not a single issue at a time. The, the, the root causes of the oppressions of women and LGBT people, the root causes are the same. So what is it that we need to do? So over to the speakers, and Dion, I'm going to ask you to go first. Okay, thanks, John. Okay. Um, good afternoon, everybody. Um, my name's Dion. I run a trans company called Flux Trends. Um, so... Uh, let's see, a brief history. Um, I always thought I was a butt of a cosmic joke. So I was born Asian, gay, in Pretoria. <laughs> Grew up in the 1970s in the most Calvinistic hotspot in South Africa. Um, so they say what does not kill you makes you stronger. So I feel I'm pretty strong at the moment. 
Um, so I married uh, my long-time partner after 25 years. We finally tied the knot. Somebody said that was the longest um, engagement ever. Um, but we loved it. We did it in New York. So that was, uh, that was good. Um, but I've got a slightly different way of, of, of looking at this because we were chatting just before. It's like, how do you connect? Um, we understand the problems. We understand what we need to achieve, but how does one do that? Where does that, that connection is? There's always seems to be some connection that, that's not going. And even after Dawn, I said, you know, from all your years of activism, just before we started, um, have things changed? And the answer was yes and no. Um, so I think the whole process, especially when you're talking about identity, it's about a two steps forward, three steps back kind of dance that you have to do. Um, but if I put my trends spotted hat on, what I'm seeing is a very crucial crossroads that we are at at the moment. So when Dawn said, so, so what is going to make sure that all of what we understand actually gets implemented? And for me, um, I don't want to go into beauty pageant speak, but it is not the children, but specifically Gen Zs. So I've been tracking this for a very long time. And in my corporate presentations that I do, and I'm very, very fortunate that I actually speak to executives. So I, I, I do master classes at, at different business schools. Um, and that's where I can put my own little small bit of activism in. Um, I know you spoke about brand activism earlier in the day, um, but the, one of the, the case studies that I put on uh, to really ram the, 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 uh, the concept home um, is with Skittles. So we, we don't, not everybody knows Skittles, but if you've been and come across Skittles internationally, they're a rainbow-colored uh, sweet. So what Skittles did uh, last year for Pride Month, um, they did a very brave thing, um, and you speak, when you speak to these kind of corporate brands, specifically in retail or consumer brands, I say to them, can you imagine what it took for Skittles to do this? Just logistically, cost-wise, everything. So basically they said, for the month of June 2017, there is only one rainbow flag, flag that matters. And for one month, they took all the color out of their product, as well as their packaging. So just for one month, every single suite was pure white, and the packaging was pure white. I said, do you understand the logistics of getting that just for one month to put that into the stores, make sure it's there, and then it's gone after one month? I said, do you know how much it costs them to be able to do that? And I said, what is happening now is the brand active. And we've seen it with Nike, different, uh, different uh, um, topic. But my point is, you are starting to see it. And, I, and I, I trace it back to about two and a half years ago when the um, religious freedom bills were being pushed in different states in America. And that's when you started seeing the first pushback of that. Um, and the case study I use there again is the city of Indianapolis, who lost about $63 million of economic activity in that, in that city. So all your big brands um, decided to push back. So your, from your Coca-Colas to your Apples, your NFL in America, um, because, so they just said, we're not putting that, uh, hosting that conference there. We're not um, putting that sports event there. Everybody just started pushing back. And the reason why they did it, it was a kind of a perfect confluence because they, they were raising the issue of religious freedom bills um, at the same time same-sex marriages were being discussed. And it wasn't quite what they were saying, but all of the, the protesters were saying, but the religious freedom bill can be used against the LGBTI community. Um, and what the brands, of course, is a very mercenary thing, everyone looking at their bottom line, and exactly what Nike is doing at the moment, is saying, okay, we know and we understand that we want a younger, more diverse customer. And basically, we're in an era, and especially if you again look at uh, Gen Z. So sorry, millennials in the room. Uh, at Flux, we've moved on from you. You've had your time in the sun. Uh, Gen Z is, is really where the, the, the game changing is, is going to happen. They, they're coming of age, they, the 19, 18, and their social, social activism or social justice barometer is, is extremely, extremely high. And for me, those, that is what's going to force the companies with the brand activism to, to, to enable this. So if you think about it, those, those brands wanted to get brand loyalty where, excuse the French, but we're in an era of brand sluts, so you don't have brand loyalty. So how do you get that brand loyalty? And the only reason if you start looking at that generation is it's a social media generation. And what I share, if I share a product with you, that product had better stand up to my peer scrutiny in terms of sustainability, in terms of social justice, in terms of a whole lot of things there. And they're not going to share that product with you, and they're not going to come and buy um, that product if it doesn't resonate with their value systems. More importantly, these brands understood if you're not going to get brand loyalty from these kids, 
they're sure as hell not going to come and work for you. And that is where I think it's going to start forcing those brands to, to really think twice about it. Because if I take it back to 2017, what we've, we started seeing in 2017, a real explosion about identity hit, hit the fan. Um, so any brands, I talk to advertising agencies and marketers, and I have to say, you know, if you think you're woke, just think again, because if you can't, uh, don't go there um, and, and deal with any of these three issues of identity. So specifically in 2017, you saw issues of gender, race, and culture um, really explode, and a lot of brands got it, got it wrong. And if you bring that back to South Africa, that is not even a hotspot, it's like a high, just so highly charged and sensitive. So, so don't go there. Um, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're going to dabble with that. But therein lies, I think, the opportunity is because if it is hit where the corporates kind of uh, uh, pockets uh, are hurting, but especially if they look for that, that future diversity. And diversity is such a hot topic at the moment. I know you say, well, you know, there's a, there's a different flavor of, of, of what thing. But for me, if I stand back and just look at that environment at the moment, it is time to strike now. The, the issues of identity are topical in everybody's minds. All corporates are doing it. So if you think of the Starbucks thing about just after that incident, um, bringing in racial bias training, there's all of these kind of buzzwords that, yes, it is maybe something in favor of the month, but it is an overwhelming seismic shift that corporates have to do. And I, I always tell corporate companies to go back and look. It's quite an old report now. It's called the Prosumer Report. Um, done by Havas Global, and basically what they did was, and South Africa was part of the, the survey, was that all respondents, about 80% of global respondents, said it is not just up to governments to push for positive change, it is up to corporate business. And it's slowly, only now, slowly, slowly starting to trickle in. Um, and tonight I'm going to go off to, to speak to a whole executive thing at dinner, and I'm going to hit, hit home again about purpose and about that. And I think it's starting to resonate, and I think finally the wheel will... Okay, I didn't think I'd actually. <laughs> I didn't think I'd actually speak per se. I was part of a panel discussion <laughs> and something more open-ended to engage with other people's views. I so, yeah. <laughs> you speak a lot. <laughs> um, but from my point of view, in terms of what, obviously what this session is about, um, focusing from my personal experiences um, pertaining to that of uh, economic inclusion. Uh, and transformation generally within the LGBTI framework. First and foremost, one thing I need to say, because I may say some things that are a bit touchy, and I'm sure some of the people in the room may not agree with me. Um, to me, a lot of it that we are here to discuss, for me, is bollocks. Um, unashamedly, it's totally bollocks. Because first and foremost, when it comes to transformation, inclusion, anything else, I've always had a viewpoint that it's not about what I am, who I am, where I'm from, but excellence. And whatever I do, I do to the best of my ability. And if I feel I'm not being given an opportunity, whether it's when I was employed in corporate or even in my own business now, um, then rather step away, you know. Um, so much so that there's been clients that we've potentially had the opportunity to work with and I've decided that we should walk away because there was... There wasn't a fit in terms of what we stand for, what we do, and what they're looking for. So, um, kind of on the whole issue of inclusion or exclusion in, in many instances, um, I've always kind of, maybe it's also my Christian upbringing, where, um, you know, one always, even being from a patriotic, uh, patriotic kind of view, always said, you know, God, family, country, whatever it is, but it's always been, for me, it's been God, family, and then the rest. Okay? Um, and in a gay perspective, family is my blood family and my other family, okay? So um, in all of that, you know, um, and whatever one's done, um, it's always been focused on excellence, you know. And I would never want to be in a business space where I'm getting um, the work. Uh, oh, it's a little bit ourselves, what we do at Black Ink. It's uh, an events and production company and communications concern, that's what we do. It's a space we're in. But at the end of the day, I would never get work because you do, you're gay or you do gay events. And I've never done any gay events, so to speak, technically. <laughs> like, I haven't, okay? Um, and I wouldn't want someone to appoint me to only do the gay events, you know? 
because I just think that I'm able to do what we do very well, regardless of what it is, whether it's from when we did the Metro FM Awards or the freaking Summers or whatever it is, we've done the biggest events and the smallest events, and we've done them really well, regardless of my sexual orientation and some of the people that work for me. Okay, so that's always been my port of call in anything we want. So I think to have a debate about access to the economy or to markets, um, at the end of the day, some people may agree with me, some may not. But I've always been of the belief that it's about doing whatever you do with excellence, regardless. I mean, there were times when I was in corporate when there's been always the fight of, obviously, the, the historic discrimination of being black. Um, in my early career, I was told by an HR executive at Wiltrue, you'll never make a good buy because you're too fat. You don't fit our buyer's image. Do you have a membership at Health and Rec Club, was the question asked. Okay. I basically kind of went this, went and moved to Markham's where we really did a really good job, did a really good job as a buyer for five years and cut to us man nicely. <laughs> I felt really good about that actually. <laughs> back, back from the days. But, um, so there's always been those sort of things. Even when I was in the movie business, I was the only black exec within a certain movie chain and then I was told, well, we're trying to grow, grow the Bollywood market. I thought, mm, everyone else is very Afrikaans. Mm, we'll send you to India for three months. I was like, cool. <laughs> I hated it, but anyway. So, <laughs> so, but nonetheless, did it and successfully launched the Bollywood circuit in South Africa, having the International Indian Film Academy Awards, etc. But again, the whole discrimination access was not because I didn't do a good job. Like, oh, we'll bring an Indian exec in. Because he's Indian, he'll understand the culture better. Funny enough, he did, they didn't realize that actually by sending a African Indian to India, it doesn't work. The Indians in India appreciated me as a black African understanding their products and being interested in their products, they discriminated against the second India because they just there's issues. Okay. So discrimination will happen in many f- 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 uh, facets, but at the end of the day, one will ever only get access in my mind if you do what you do really well and in proving that the rest of your sexuality and everything else should be secondary in the ideal world. Yes, we know it's not, and sometimes it does become an issue up front. Um, but even when I've gone into a client or to a given job and someone will ask me on day one, are you gay? I'm like, my usual answer is, what does that matter? And sometimes it's a bit of a, a, bit of a soft shoe shuffle and a bit of jostling that happens for a while until they see that actually I do do my, my job well or execute the brief well. You know? So one moves past that. So to me, that's usually the the main issue and in terms of access to the economy or to markets. And unfortunately, I see ourselves as a community, our own worst enemies. Because even within everything else and all said and done, we discriminate us amongst each other so heavily as gay men, as gay to lesbians or to transgendered or whatever in the whole LGBTIQ plus space that even when as a gay businessman, I have an opportunity to, to subcontract or hire other people, sometimes there's a subconscious or societal thing amongst my own gay buddies that, mm, oh, Chomi, you're going to be too fabulous for this client. You know, I can't. <laughs> because, because of what I always believed in going into a client of, it's not about seeing my gayness, it's about seeing my delivery and execution. And even if I know someone's really great at something, sometimes there's been issues where like, oof, it's going to jeopardize my position with this client because he's just pushing the wrong buttons, okay? Um, which is wrong for me to have done that because I'm also then discriminating against my own community, okay? But it's that whole belief of going into a business environment of wanting to be seen as an expert of what I do first before anything else, okay? Having said that, there's been sometimes very obvious situations where one is given opportunity and worked with other LGBTI companies and individuals purely because they espouse the same uh, principles and ethos I have of excellence first. Regardless whether you, whatever you are within the LGBTI space, if that person, their departure point is also that of delivering excellence as a non-negotiable, I will go, I will break my back to even sell that person, knowing that that, that particular client or government department may be a bit uncomfortable, but because that we share that basic principle of excellence and doing what we do really well to get the money and to get the business, I will actually 
bend over backwards to sell that person into that client. And unfortunately, sometimes, even with us as a community, we take those relationships we have amongst ourselves as business people for granted that, why aren't you not, because I'm also gay, why are you not, I'm like, no, 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 I'm not working with you because I'm gay. I didn't get the work because I was gay. I'll work with you because you stand for something that actually means something to my bottom line and to my livelihood. Because at the end of the day, corporates and government departments don't really, yes, there is the bias and there's issues, but at the same time, when it comes to more corporates, because okay, governments and politics and access, there's hidden agendas there that I don't even go down because some of them won't give it away because it will expose their own personal issues. Another story altogether. Um, but, um, and their political principles that have got other issues beyond the, the politics. Um, but when it comes to corporate, like in any business, it's about the bottom line and about delivering. No brand manager is going to lose their job because you fucked up, my friend. You know what I'm saying? So at the end of the day, there's that comfortability. Someone mentioned earlier about people working with people that like each other. My clients like me because as much as I sometimes, some of them think I'm arrogant or ABCD, they like me and they can't work with me because I, I won't let them down. Even if it means I dig into my profitability, but it's just about that pushing the boundary beyond them being labeled as being part of the LGBTI community. So, and I just think that I that's told you it wasn't going to be five. I said five to seven minutes, and then I said seven to ten, and he said three minutes, three to five. I told you. Keep <laughs> okay. me going, I want to. So let me push back a little bit because you know some of what we heard today um, on different panels, but also from from the audience, from the participants, is that there is a high level of excellence, right? That's what I heard. I heard that the businesses that we are trying to establish and sustain, but also if we're in a company, an employee in a company, we are, for the most part, there's always exceptions, but for the most part, we are working to quite a high level of excellence. But there's a deliberate exclusion, right? So there's deliberate based on this particular, and I'm going to insist based on other factors because I'm a woman and I will be excluded. They won't know I'm a lesbian and I will still be excluded, right? So there is a deliberate exclusion based on, and I want to just pick up on what uh, Dion said, I think it was race, gender and culture, right? Based on those three and others, but we know those are the big ones. This is South Africa, right? There's a deliberate exclusion. So what is your advice to us here? You know, accepting that we are going for excellence and then what else when the door is being shut in our faces? Because it sounds like for you, the doors have opened and you were able to say, you know, the F word Look. and I'm moving on. But that's opportunity, right? Without opportunity... If the door shut in our faces, we're not going to be, even now with our excellence, we're not going to be able, if there's deliberate exclusion. So what is your, what is your, and I'm asking all of you to get ready. Look, I think it's going to be a really good debate. Um, get ready with your questions. I'm going to open it up just now. I think there has been exclusion. I won't say that the doors just flip, gates flood open. There's been times when I've, I've seen the exclusion, when I know what I've pitched, what I've presented blatantly yeah. should have gotten the job or the account. Okay, but mm -hmm. there are exclusions which you then hear, whether it's subliminally or via whatever format, that you know that actually they didn't go with you because they're uncomfortable with A, B or C or D. Whether it's colour, whether it's sexual orientation, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. you know? um, so those um, incidences have happened. Okay? And I can't say that I would know how to fight against that or to push back against that, um, other than when an opportunity does um, avail itself that I fly beyond expectations. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. You know, um, or deliver beyond expectations. Okay. So there is no, I think, final answer because exclusion will always happen. It happens globally. It will always happen in, in many, many forms. You know, mm -hmm. um, maybe it's just the way you speak. You know, mm -hmm. or the way you dress. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we're told, for example, back way when, when I started in retail that we had to wear a suit entire Monday to Thursday and Friday we could wear a sports jacket. Mm -hmm. I rocked up at work wearing a tie and a bomber jacket. Mm -hmm. I mean, the CEO looked at me and was like, oh, are you going, like, are you going okay. on an adventure? Like, so it could be little things like that. And I was limited in certain things, but it's just, 
and also goes to when it comes to exclusion. You can't change who you are uh, or what you are, but at the same time, which sometimes, as LGBTI people, sometimes because we want to make the statement so like hard, you know, that when we go into space, we still want to change everyone else, and they must accept us for God, point blank, you know. And so I've always believed, go fish with the fish are biting, and behave appropriately to the appropriate space. And sometimes, unfortunately, that's what I'm we're also our own worst enemies. We'll get into space, and we want to make statements that um, the environment that you're trying to get the business from, um, and if you're a business person, you need to be able to evaluate or check the coast, so to okay. speak. You know, you can't just go in there okay. being... Um, in a, affronting someone else's culture, whether it's from a, a sexual point of view or a religious point of view, you need to have some sort of, sort of, sort of sensitivities. And I've seen it time and time again when we are on worst, worst enemies, where you know, like there's a friend of mine, and he's brilliant at what he does, but he's still is adamant. When you go and pitch and go into a certain gun department, he will wear every eyeliner shade. And, and I'm like, okay, can we just leave the base? Okay, just don't put the eye, eye color. Okay. <laughs> but he's still like, there's like, you know, just don't. Yep. Don't have overtly offend someone, and it's going to do by saying, I'm not saying change who you are, but don't, you know, behave appropriately in the appropriate business environment. Okay, great, excellent. Don't uh, go to a banker wearing shorts and slops and things and leave you alone. Okay. Well, do you, do, you, do you want to just add, just based on the conversation so far, is there just a remark that you want to make before I open it up? Mm. Anything? Okay, lots of agree and disagree, and I see there's a lot of hands yeah. popping up, so I'm going to let people talk. Um, but I do, there is one thing that I do agree with, you know, Sim, is that, that within the LGBT community that sometimes we are our own worst enemies and we do fight against e each other and there is not, not a cohesiveness there. But I'm more interested to see what these arms popping up are oh. going to say. So. Roving mic. Um, <coughs> all right, so let's take... Uh, this take maybe three and we'll do a good couple of rounds. Okay, so I'll start on this side. One, and a hand, two, okay, three. One, two, three, and then I'll come back to you in a second. Um, thank you very much for that very interesting discussion. Um, I just actually want to touch on what Dawn raised in the, be in the beginning, understanding that we are a com complex society. And we contest at, at times for political and so, um, social inclusion and how we don't create exclusion. So I just wanted to know if we live in a, like for part of this discussion where we live in a country where many of the LGBT people are actually socioeconomically excluded. So how do we have this, this discussion in that context? knowing that we're not creating this index with actually a small amount of minority of, the, of our population, of our community that can actually use this index for their purposes. So how does one navigate yourself to that space where we don't create that, that sort of exclusion <coughs> amongst our community? We're sort of middle class agenda and how does we not make sure that the poor people are actually a part of these conversations before the index is actually being formulated? Um, hello again. Thank you for your interesting points. I just, I just need three comments. Not three months pass by before I hear about somebody who's been thrown out of his or her home for being LGBTI. So there are a lot of people who experience that instability in the background of their lives before they can even show up at work or at school. It, it would be very callous for me to come with the respectability politics of saying, be twice as good just to get half as far. Oh. And the reality is, uh, um, the free, what we call the free market did not fall down from heaven, fully formed, uh, this innocent thing that we are now trying to influence and intervene in. It has been built on interventions. Slavery in the U.S. was the capital that fed into the economy that exists there now. The same is true here. So when you come along and you say, actually, I'm going to lobby for my rights, you're not doing something new. It's being done. Apartheid was somebody lobbying for special rights. We're just like, kind of like fixing it. Thank you. Hi. Um, very interesting discussion from Sim. Um, my response would be, um, whilst we are not out, we're not saying that as LGBTI people, uh, we, we're going out with a begging bowl to demand business and be given work because we're LGBTI. 
Uh, all we're saying is that in this country, and I think I've, I've said this in our last session, that in this country we have a constitution that says we are all equal before the law. But we are not seeing that trickle down to some corporates, or most corporates, for instance. Uh, the same thing happens with um, the DEE. I mean, the government has had to enforce that for them to tip if you're a, a, a black-owned business or a certain percentage women-owned and that type of thing. I don't see anything wrong with them, including a tip box that would say that you are LGBTI or LGBTI-friendly, so that we, are all, we all have equal access to getting the work or the opportunity. Thank you. Now we're on the political side of things. I have been self-employed for about 24 years. And I have lost business because I've been a proudly out gay man since that point. Um, I blame pride because I went to a pride march and then I felt I fell in love with my <laughs> lesbian sisters and my trans sisters and brothers and I fell in love with a lot of gay boys at that pride, I'll tell you. But I, I, I was imbued with a sense of community and I, just, I, I made a decision that this is what I was. I wasn't going to hide what I'd been hiding. So in business, I've experienced through the 90s into the noughties, lovely name, not a good business time, and into these now teens, significant changes in attitude. They're not quite where we need to be right now. Whether or not I choose to wear my rainbow on my cuff is my decision there and then, because I've fought hard to get where I am. I've certainly sacrificed hard to get where I am. And I know what a small business person goes through. So bringing it back in the context of today, we're talking about growth and development, but a lot of conversations have been about corporates. And then when I'm in tourism forums, it's always about the corporates, the big guys. With all due respect, the big guys are okay, Jack. It's the small guys I'm worried about, because I'm one of them. So when I have blockages to access to resources, it's a thing to me, because I'm an openly gay man. I ask, is that the reason? And, and going to a very valid point, when a woman who is lesbian and of color faces discrimination, what has she actually been blocked for? And I ask myself the question, what am I being blocked for? Because I'm white? Because I'm gay? Because I'm a man? Because I'm boisterous? Because I've got a large nose? I don't know. And yet, no, this is important. I understand where we're going, but it's feeding into what you're saying. I'm concerned about the small business people and how we bring them into the fold. We can have these conversations, but not permeate the message through. We can talk about a community, and I can have gay businesses who say to me, Jason, we won't sponsor the Durban Gay and Lesbian Film Festival, which I run, by the way, because we don't, as a business, we don't support gay business. I've had that directly to my face in the last three years. I've had corporates, going to what, alluding to what Louis said earlier about advertising, who won't put their money where their mouth is. As a small entity, when you're running a community event, whether it's a pageant, a film festival, regardless, cultural or otherwise, entertainment, trying to get sponsorship that isn't booze to put money behind you is quite a significant thing. And event management, we're both passionate people. And believe me, we've both been burned in the industry, we know. But nonetheless, we have stuck it out. I think when we come about the politics, we need to talk about the politics of survivability. In the past, you were surviving because your life was at stake, because the state would take it. Now we're talking about the survivability of your livelihood, which is just as much. And I'm saying to the group here, if we're talking about change, we need to be saying, how do we create solutions without always tacking at the problem? Sometimes finding common ground is saying, I disagree with you, or I disagree with you, or the straight person says, I disagree with you, Jason. I say, well, that's fine. Where's the common ground? In business, that's how we thrive. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay. So, just some two things, which answers both Jason's question and your question. Um, sorry, I forgot your name. Sorry. Um and in terms of how one infiltrates or from the, at grassroots level or in terms of the small business person, that was um, the essence of the formation of PLUS. I was privileged to be part of the steering committee that was involved in over the last year and a half, whatever, in, or a bit more than that, in actually formulating PLUS and, and 
a lot of strategy sessions and consultative sessions around the country, whether it was in PE, Cape Town, Durban, wherever, Nelspet, wherever, okay? And in many of those areas, it was not a top-down approach. It was very much getting someone that has a tea room in the township or a fledgling BNB with three rooms in a township or wherever, okay? So it was, it was, and strange enough, in most of the cities we went to or places where parts of the committee went to, a lot of those people actually came in from the tourism-related industries, okay? Because as an LGBTI community, because of being sidelined from the economy or business in many ways, we've always ended up being in certain sectors, you know, whether it's the tourism-related spaces or beauty, fashion, what other people would regard as the frivolous industries, okay? Um, so at the end of the day, a lot of the people that were engaged and they were startups. I remember that there's a lady in PE that's started her own consultancy, but in terms of sports marketing, um, she comes from a sports hockey background, but she's, really, you know, she's doing her own thing, you know, she's growing, etc. Um, and there were a variety of people right from the bottom, right through in terms of where they are in their business journeys. Um, and the purpose of PLUS was to create a space that is inclusive of all those various people and to service those needs that you referred to in terms of the things that we've experienced of being burnt or when we're starting our own businesses where you went from highs to lows and a flash and literally, you know, thought, okay, I can't even put five rand petrol in the car right now. Thank God I had a car, but I mean, I'm saying, but, you know, so there's all those challenges that we've all been through. Now, something like for the formation of PLUS was to so when you are starting your business, you will, there'll be certain facilities or support, whether it's in terms of training, workshop, skills sharing, empowerment, um, all those things that would basically give access to the previously disenfranchised LGBTI community in terms of mainstream business, okay? Um, which a lot of people don't have access or know how to get into. So I think that's the essence of it. It's not to say PLUS is there to make things cushy and, and easy, but it's just to try and create a platform to create access within the network and the links that the network will then form and have with whether it's business, government, um, and even amongst each other as LGBTI businesses. You know, so, you know, those... Yeah. So, Sim, I'm hearing then both your first intervention, you know, where there is this call to excellence, which I think we all get and we're all passionate about, and that that takes you somewhere. But I'm also hearing in this intervention that something has to shift. So what you're describing in terms of us connecting up with each other, whatever the issue is, whether it's race, gender, or culture, forming networks to open the door for each other. I'm hearing you saying at the mm -hmm. end that that is critical. Mm. Right? So because there's deliberate, based on race, based on gender, based on culture, based on sexual orientation, there is deliberate exclusion. It takes a deliberateness in terms of how we respond. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm hearing. And one idea is to connect ourselves with each other so that we're able to open up opportunities. Right? That's, yeah. Uh, do you want to go? So, but then I want to challenge one of um, something. So when I said I agree with you that we're sometimes our own worst enemy because you do that, so then my question to you, or to anybody, because I heard the murmur ripple around there, is, so if you are that, then do you really have to conform and dumb down your eyeliner and think because you don't want to offend there? And so where do you draw the line of being less authentic and you, because you're excellence, and does the fact that I wear base mean that I'm less... Excellent. I understand you saying yes. You, you don't want to offend the other people there, but then for me, there's a there's a there's there's a there's a disconnect and and the truth of where I own we're sitting is because now you're saying you shouldn't be your your authentic self because that will take away from. I think maybe the way I phrased it was maybe not quite what I was trying to say. That one thing that you can still be yourself. You don't have to need to dumb down. Yes, I personally, I've had to dumb down at some level in certain instances to achieve my goal, the strategy I want to achieve through a person, because I know who they are, so I kind of, whether it's through reverse psychology or playing them better at their own game, so there has been a level of dumbing down in some instances, but I take it back to my mother telling me, play nicely with other children. When you play, don't, 
you're not an island. No man's an island. So go when you go to the still play pain, play nice without a tool. Because I was a, I was a terrorist. I put shove everyone's head in the sand. Okay, it's because I was that kid. So they would say like so play nice with other children, but at the same time be you. Doesn't mean that you must not be boisterous or loud, or whatever. But be considerate of the environment you're playing with, because you, you know don't don't because those people are different as much as you are different. So don't just play nice with other children. Okay. All right, these, sort of adaptive, these are some of the adaptive strategies we take, sometimes even um, not consciously, right? We forever accommodate, accommodated, right, and adaptive. So how do I survive? It's survivalist, right? Whether it's race or, or whatever it is. Um, and we all do it on some level. When I go to the salon, I am not a lesbian. I refuse to be a lesbian in the salon. I am there to cut my hair or to have my dreads sorted. You can ask me what I do, I will lie, but I will not be a lesbian, right? So, to some extent, we are in adaptive mode um, <coughs> on some level, right? We make those decisions. I'm sure there's some of us that are never, but I'm just saying many, for many of us, there are times when we're making a choice like, you know, if we're... This is not the place where I'm going to be activist or I just need a good haircut. That's what I need, okay? <laughs> Let's have another round of hands. We're going to start here and we're going to go to the back and then we're going to come here and we're going to end at the back of the mm -hmm. yeah. So I, I really want to challenge this, this topic about, about the authentic self. Um, because we're not asking, how can we ask of ourselves to dumb ourselves down, to not be fabulous? at the salon. Now darling, I am very fabulous at the salon when I go to the salon. But, yes. but I'm not asking the racist Afrikaans guy who's my boss to dumb down his, his way of being himself. So why should, why should I dumb myself down? Why can't I have a blue streak in my hair and work in corporate? Because at some point, if we don't stand up for our own authentic self, and that's why I love the, and I don't know the terminology, the new millennials. That's why I really like their Gen Z, right? That's why I love their way of thinking. Because they are true to their authentic self and they actually pressurize their peers to be true to them. And we can have these debates and we can go on and we can, we can say, yeah, but, but it's, it's for self-preservation and all of that. Sorry for my French. Fuck that idea. Because at some point, we need to say, what am I about, and what do I stand for, and what do I not stand for? Because I think that the thing is, we're very good to say what we stand for, but we don't say what we don't stand for. Oh. Okay, great. Let's right. take the hand um, at yeah. the back. Yes, go yes. ahead. Um, I think, you know, earlier on, um, Gail from the Human Rights actually mentioned something very important. We need to start to name and shame companies that do not support LGBTI. I'll make an example. We've been in discussion with DSTV for a very long time, wanting actually a platform that is for LGBTI. And we were told that it's a niche market. Suddenly DSTV decided, you know, they're going to have this platform. And they're going only just to uh, test the market in October. However, the contract is only given to a straight people that are going to feed us with content that is not for LGBTI, but the channel is for LGBTI. So, something needs to be done. You know, something needs to be done. I mean, I remember I even wrote a very long, strong email to the person that is actually in charge of the channel to say, how do you do this? After we had such a long discussion, mm -hmm. how? Okay, so there's, there's examples of both the deliberate exclusion, but there's also examples of manipulation, right? Mm -hmm. Where an idea is presented and the next thing it's gone, right? The idea is gone, it's not yours anymore. So uh, let's keep going. Uh, who was it? I think, no, we're coming here and then we'll come to the back. Sorry. Thank you, Dawn. Thank you. <laughs> um, I just wanted to say, you know, you, you posed a question, what do we do when the door shuts? Well, you mobilize, you org organize, and you agitate. I was fortunate enough to live through the transition, 94, 
there was legislation around BEE and uh, workplace equity, but that was just it was legislated. Companies don't change, people don't change. The status quo will remain unless you push the boundaries. And how we changed so that we could get into positions was organized through the unions, and that's where we agitated. And that's how change happens. No one is just going to change for the love of it. So to answer your question, and we all have to be very cognizant of this, we've got to organize, we've got to mobilize, and we've got to agitate. Change is not going to come. You know, we have to create the change that we want to see. And I mean, I've lived through the transition in terms of what I saw happen in corporate. I mean, we were qualified, we were young, gifted and black, and we weren't given the opportunity, and we bulldozed those doors. And that's when we were given the opportunity. Okay, great. Uh, Steve. Yeah, thank you so much, and thanks to Dion and Sim for, you know, the input. I, you know, I, I wondered on, on, on the points that were made Dawn and I think probably you know of being an authentic self and I think one has to allow anyone to be their own authentic uh, self. I think maybe what we just need to recognize is where and when and how marginalization happens and in the, in the world that we live in that is so heteronormative and you know and in the case of how we respond to some of the uh, 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 cases or people that often is marginalized because of how they look, uh, you know, and, and, and often discrimination happens to an identified person or group and, 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 and people that know, are, are known to be of marginalized society. So I think we need to also think in that context, what does it mean in the world of business and, and also how is that, you know, the public respond to, but also how you respond to the public around that. But I wonder also maybe the other question, uh, maybe point that I want to make, it's around how we look at empowerment even amongst ourselves. You know, here we are, we're talking about some of the empowerment and opportunities that we need to reflect in. Um, and, and I think even how we organize even in this space, we've got quite a lot of NGOs, uh, CBOs that are doing this, you know, work of fighting for, 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 for inequalities. And I wonder, you know, both Dion and, and Sim, have you beyond just the space of your own world, have you looked at, and probably this is a question to everyone who's leading business world, how are you contributing to the LGBTI work? How are the NGOs that are fighting constantly for inclusion in policies, inclusion in the world, how are we contributing to the struggle around human rights of existence, of human rights of of changing policies, even just from the workplace that we are referring to, or businesses, but also even those who are as activists involved in this work. Thanks. Okay, thank you. We're actually not going to be able to take any more interventions. Thank you for all of those. We're going to get uh, both panelists to respond to any aspect of that. We've heard a number of things. There's privilege emerging, right? How we doors do open for some of us in some instances and not for others. So what is going on there? We've had a number of, of interventions around privilege and doors opening and doors closing. We've heard significant things around survivalist economies that we create. We make those decisions. I make that decision when my aunt comes around. I'm not going to have another argument yeah. with her, right? Yeah. We are in survival mode, even though we might be standing out there and shouting when, when, the, when the occasion calls for it. So we're hearing about survivalist economies, and we are critiquing that. I'm hearing a really strong critique of the, the eyeshadow. I'll never look at eyeshadow in the same way again. <laughs> okay? So, um, so a number of challenges around those, but also some really powerful things, right, around what we can do, the networks, that some suggesting that we need to connect with each other, we need to be connected, and we need to... Not just as a lesbian or LGBT people, we are also black, we are also poor, we are also young, or we older, or we disabled. So in all our forms of being, we need to be able to be connecting with each other and helping to open doors. 
And it's through mobilization, it's through speaking, it's through being bold. Not all of us are going to be a lesbian every single day and in every situation, but there's some who are willing to be gay in every situation. So we are using different strategies and tactics. And how is it that we prevent ourselves from being, how did you say? Our own worst enemies, right? Even amongst ourselves, because we're also really judgmental about your strategy and yours, and why is it not like mine? And I wonder, and I'm going to kind of leave this with you and let the panelists have the last thought, like where is solidarity in this? Because it's really easy as LGBTIQAXYZ people to get so engrossed in our own exclusion that we cannot see the connection. So I'm a white man and I cannot see that there's a connection with this black woman, right? And that I actually have to speak up when there's discrimination against her. So my challenge is, you know, we're always looking for allies, but when are we an ally, right? Because that's what struggle is, and we cannot... We cannot do things one step at a time. I was once part of a campaign, also in the early 90s, it was called Women Won't Wait. Women are still waiting 24 or whatever years later. Why? Because women have to speak on our own behalf. Where are the gay men in the women's struggles, right? Where are, so it, there's really a question for us. We're getting into a box. We're getting more and more into a corner. Our alphabet is growing. But the solidarity between the struggles, the systems of oppression are the same. Patriarchy excludes a white gay man as it excludes a black women in the rural area who might identify as straight. So what is the root cause and where is solidarity? That's what I'm leaving with you, and I'm going to let the panelists have the last word. Over to you, Dion. Okay. Um, so I, I do want to end off with a with beauty queen speak, so, so the Gen Zs are our future. They really, really are. One thing that that's, you've noticed about them, and, and that's what I say to, to, you know, to people, is that um, they have the most... Uh, relaxed understanding of gender fluidity. Um, so, so I get a lot of uh, things from people, mostly with parents of teenagers, saying, oh, my, my kids are so obsessed with, with technology. I say, the kids will be all right. They, they're, a self, they're a self-correcting generation. And the reason why they are so comfortable with gender fluidity is because of technology. Those, so, so yes, you've got cyberbullying, but there's a double-edged sword. Those kids have found their niches and those communities through social media and through that. So yes, so they, they, they understand transphobia, they understand all of that whole lexicon because of that. And I think we need to take a leaf out of those kids and, and, and do that. And then just to your, your question there, I don't think we need to ever, ever stop the, the pushback. As, as, as big as it might be, where that, that eyeline and, and, and where the base, but, like in my case, when I'm speaking to, to executives, it's always in the presentations. There's always something that talks about social justice, and specifically, I use the case studies of LGBTI uh, brands that, that are pushed there and do that. So, wherever you can, I think it's just that, it's just that silent chipping away, constant, 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 constant of doing that there. Okay. Yeah, I think I'd agree wholeheartedly with what Dion just said now, um, primarily that of that pushback needs, needs to always be there. That pushback can be, in, as John says, in terms of when he presents to executives and corporates, it can be in terms of how we do business and how we operate on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, going back into what you asked earlier on, for example, from our side, if we're looking, when we're taking in learnerships or internships, it's not as if I will hire only gay people from the LGBTI community, but because it has to still resonate to what we're about as a business, but if there are three candidates, I only have to take two, and um, I'll give a first call of opportunity to someone that, that I relate more and best to, and rather be that, or I would like to use the word like a big brother, or assist that person where I can, so they don't have to initially fall through some of the pitfalls I went through, 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 through the discrimination or the societal uh, spaces that one had to kind of navigate. Okay, mm -hmm. so. And over of that kind of involvement with the, with the students or the youth in supporting and and guiding, okay, but also in one's involvement in whether as you raise whether it's NGOs or, for example, what 
what we're doing now in terms of um, getting involved in certain seminars and workshops where we're giving up our time to actually just um, guide from a basic business principles or within the spaces that we operate in, or for example, the time and effort and kind of intellectual contribution to the, the road that um, PLUS went through in form, forming PLUS and engaging nationally with NGOs, community groups, um, entrepreneurs, uh, and even students in some instances that have got a desire to get into business and to get access to the economy. So it's that's Okay, so after he tells us the excellence thing and then he talks about how he opens doors and how doors need to be opened. Agent Provocateur, right? Hey? Thank you very much. And I think, let's give a hand clap to the, the panelists. And thank you very much for a great uh, engagement. Thanks. Thank you. This is Gay Essay Radio's coverage of the South African LGBTI Business Summit.